And do me a favor, turn in your Bible to John's Gospel. We are in chapter 15, verses 18 through to 27. Uh, You might remember we've been in John for a long time, and we've been trying to go as quickly as we can, which normally means like a a section of a chapter every week. So we're not doing every single verse in John. That would take us a long, long time. But we're doing portions of John. And yet, over the last couple weeks, we've slowed down a little bit. We've spent, if you include today, we'll be spending three weeks in John 15. And that's because these are sort of Jesus's last words before he goes to the cross. It's his farewell address. It's the last big chunk of red letters, if you have a red letter Bible, before Jesus is crucified. And we, in our own culture, kind of recognize that there is this idea of famous last words. Whatever somebody chooses to spend their last moments on earth communicating is probably important because that time is precious. And Jesus is interested in sort of making sure the disciples are ready for everything that's coming after he goes to the cross. Um, You might remember last week I mentioned that when I was a kid, my dad traveled a ton. So he was gone maybe three weeks out of the month. And every time before my dad would leave, he would sit down with my brothers and he would give us sort of the marching orders. And he would say, okay, now Travis, Justin, you boys need to be nice to, to each other. That's like my dad's big thing is everybody needs to be nice. And so even when I've like had job interviews, he's like, were they nice to you? I mean, as nice as job interviews can be. Um, and so he would say, Travis, Justin, you need to be nice to each other. Take care of your mom. As if like fifth graders were capable of that, but, but he charged us with that nonetheless. It was his concern that things in the house functioned a certain way while he was away. And, and this is the same with Jesus's last words. You might remember from last week, Jesus says this in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has uh, nothing compared to this that a man lay down his life for his friend. He looks to the disciples and to us as disciples and says, here's how you treat each other inside the house. This is how you operate. But my dad, when he would leave, would also give us marching orders for how we behaved in the world and how we interacted in the world. So he would say things like, if somebody knocks on the door, this is what you do, which was normally don't answer it. Um, Or if somebody calls, here's what you say, or, hey, you need to be good at school this week. So when my dad was leaving, it was, here's how you treat each other. And then it was, here's how you interact with people outside the house. And this is kind of what Jesus is getting at today as he speaks to the disciples and to us. He said, here's how we care for one another. And then he says, here's what you should expect out in the world when I leave. I was in Stockholm two weeks ago and, um, It was really interesting. I wasn't aware of this until I got there, but Sweden has probably the highest concentration of atheists in Europe. I don't think it's in the world. I think Japan is actually number one in the world for atheism. Uh, But Sweden is pretty close up there. And so when I first got to Sweden, one of our friends who picked us up from the airport said, I hear one of you as a priest. And I knew that was referring to me, even though that's not my actual job title. And I'll, I'll just tell you this. Um, I do not wear my job on my sleeve. Like, I don't walk around going, my name's Pastor Trav. Like, I, I, don't, I don't share that with people. And it's, it's not because I'm embarrassed by it. I never, like, hide it from people. But people treat me weird. They stop saying bad words or telling funny jokes or even being remotely interesting when they find out that I'm a pastor. So I just don't tell people that. 
Uh, but when it's brought up, I, I kind of go with it. And so I realize in this moment, in this car in Sweden, I hear one of you as a priest. All right, it's time to own my job. I said, yep, that, that would be me, Priest Travis. And he said, that's so crazy. I've never met another religious person before. I don't know anyone who believes in God. This is a 25, 26-year-old man who has not just never met a Christian, but never met anybody who even believes that God exists. Um, now, Sweden is a little bit further along than the United States is in the sense that Sweden is more secular. It's post-Christian in a way that we aren't. I think I saw maybe three functioning churches while I was there in the entire city, whereas you can drive down Kings and see 10 to 15 functioning churches. And yet there is, there is something that I think we, we kind of all feel, especially those of you who are back on a college campus this week, or just living kind of out in the world. We, we sense that, that as time goes on, maybe our friends or our classmates or the people around us, they're increasingly freaked out by what we believe. There's sort of this increasing discomfort. Like, you, you really believe all that stuff? Um, or maybe there's just a sense for, for people like, that's so weird. I've, I've never met anybody who actually believes the fundamental tenets of Christianity, that somebody came back from the dead, um, that, that marriage is meant to, to last a lifetime, um, forgiving people even when they wronged you. We feel that, that Christianity becomes increasingly strange as time goes on. And sometimes it's a source of controversy and hatred and frustration. And it's to us that Jesus speaks I mean, he's speaking to the disciples, but, but he's talking to us as disciples now when he says this in our passage. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Jesus has started by saying, here's how you treat one another, love each other. And then there's this radical shift. He goes, I need you to love one another as I have loved you. And you should probably plan on being hated by everybody else. Uh, He he sounds kind of conditional. He says, if the world hates you, which makes it sound like there's a chance that that won't happen. But as you go on in what Jesus said, it becomes really clear that the expectation he has for people who follow him is that at some point or another, they will bear the brunt of the world's hatred. And the first kind of bit of comfort he offers to us as we experience that tension of people going, I don't understand why you think the way you do. I don't understand why you live the way you do. It actually makes me mad that you believe the things that you do. The first bit of comfort that Jesus offers is he says, you should just know that they hated me before they hated you. When I was in um, elementary school, well, elementary school, middle school, maybe freshman year of high school, I was picked on mercilessly um, to the point that I, I was sick to my stomach every day pulling up to school because people were really, really mean to me. Now, to be fair, I was like this weird kid who loved anime and Matchbox 20, and so I didn't like really fit in with anybody in, in my world, um, but but it was bad. And I think middle school is bad for most people. Like, I don't know anybody who says middle school was a great time for me. Uh, I know a few people who loved high school. I know of nobody who loved middle school. So I think we should just skip that period of life altogether. Um, but as I was kind of like going through this and, and not being particularly athletic and getting picked on in gym class because I 
all the teams I was on lost mostly because of me. Um, I remember having a co- multiple conversations with my parents. And it wasn't like I was some like refined middle schooler who sat down and said, Mom and Dad, we need to talk about the bullying problem in my middle school. Um, but I was just like, people are mean and I don't want to go to school. Um, and, and I remember one of the things that kind of helped me along in this was, was my mom saying, hey, you know, people picked on me when I was in, in middle school too. Um, you know, I have scars from when people push me down on the playground. Like I still have the physical scars from that, not just the emotional scars, but people picked on me too. Now, here's, here's the thing. Um, it didn't make that experience hurt any less. Like I wasn't any less afraid of gym class. But knowing that there was somebody who I loved and who I respected, who knew what it felt like to go through what I was going through, it made it so that I didn't feel alone in the midst of it. And it didn't make the kids in middle school gym class any less mean. But I didn't feel as alone as I experienced it. And so Jesus says to the disciples, listen, when the world, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. You're not alone in this. You're not walking along a path that I haven't gone on before you. And I think there's, there's a profound comfort in that, in, in knowing that when we're hated for living as the people of Christ, for, for walking in uh, obedience to the gospel, we can call out to Jesus in prayer. And that's what we do when we pray. We always end our prayers in Jesus' name because our prayers pass through him. We can call out to Jesus in prayer and we're not talking to someone who is detached from this, but as somebody who has also been hated, somebody who has gone before us in this experience. But, but there's, a, there's a huge difference between what awkward Travis experienced in middle school um, and what Jesus is warning us of and promising that we should expect here. Um, because the reality is when I was in middle school at Progress Village's Middle Magnet School of the Arts, um, nobody came up to me and said, what, what's your mom and dad's name again? Betsy and Thurman? Ooh, you're about to get it, right? Nobody was mean to me because Betsy and Thurman are my parents. They were mean to me because I was a weird little kid and middle schoolers are mean. But, but here's the difference between that experience and what Jesus promises. He, he says in verse 19, if, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, therefore the world hates you. So it's not just Jesus saying, hey, pat on the back, just so you know, I've experienced this too. Jesus is saying, just so you know, your experience of being hated by the world is directly related to me. Like in some sense, I am the reason why this is happening to you. The early church experience this in in a radical way, being hated by the world because Jesus called them out of the systems of the world to live in a different way. Because true Christianity, it is always at odds with the systems of the world and the systems of power in the world. Um, I'm I'm teaching church history right now here at Baylife, which is one of my favorite things that I've ever gotten to do here at the church. And, And whenever we do the first two weeks on the first 200 years of Christianity, I'm always astounded at how the criticisms of Christianity from the first 200 years are actually like compliments to us now. So um, the early church was radically persecuted for being atheists. That, that was one of the Roman arguments against Christianity is you're all atheists. Um, 
And they thought that because the Romans all had statues of their gods and they all had temples for their gods. And Christians said, God doesn't live in houses um, and we can't make statues of our God. And so they said, you must be pretending. Like you must be pretending to actually believe in a God because we don't see your statues anywhere. But they're also seen as a national security threat. And that was because in, in Roman society, there was a God for everything. So there's a God for the harvest. And there's the God for um, safe travels on the seas. And there's the God of war. And if any of these gods are mad, the country might suffer in these areas. And the Christians refused to worship these gods. They said, there's only one. We're not going to worship the God of the harvest. We're not going to worship the God of war. And so when Rome lost wars, they said, it's the Christians' fault. You atheists did this. Uh, when the harvest failed, Romans said, it's the Christians' fault because you won't worship our gods. There was, there was one Christian who said, they blame us for everything. Anytime there's a plague, it's our fault. Anytime there's a famine, it's our fault. Anytime we lose in a battle, it's our fault. We're always getting blamed. But here was the other thing that, that the Romans accused the Christians of because the way of Jesus is out of step with the world. Um, Romans hated Christians because Christians had this crazy idea that all people were made in the image of God and all people were worthy of respect and honor because of that. Now that doesn't sound crazy to us because our culture has been so influenced by Christianity. But in Roman society, slaves, women, and children were seen as being subhuman. And yet Christians said they're made in the image of God. They deserve respect. They deserve dignity. They are equal to everyone else. And this drove people absolutely crazy. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a Roman critic named Celsus, and he's writing to criticize Christianity. And this is his criticism of Christianity. He said, Christians admit that ignorant people are worthy of their God. Christians are willing to accept foolish, dishonorable, stupid people like slaves, women, and children. That's unbelievable that that's the criticism of Christianity, right? Because we look at that rightly and go, that's because everybody's equal. Everybody's made in the image of God. But the gospel called Christians to be out of step with the way that the world was. It saw these people as less than. And they were hated for it. And, and Jesus says that. He says, if you were of the world the world would love you as its own. If you believed what the Roman society believes about these people groups, there would be no conflict. There would be no problem here. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Um, there's a uh, scholar who uh, wrote a, a commentary on John named Emil Bruner. And uh, he calls it, he calls it the convicting presence of Christian witness. He says, there's something about Christians living as Christians in the midst of a community of people who don't accept that, that causes conviction in a way that sometimes words don't. And it can produce anger. Let me, let me explain by way of something totally ridiculous as to how this works. Um, so my fiance and I are getting ready for this wedding and everybody wants to look their best on their wedding day because there's these pictures that people are going to see for the rest of your lives. And so you don't, you don't want to look bad in those, right? And so we've both vaguely, well, okay, 
we seriously commit to following a diet for about three days at a time. And she, she does better with this than I do. And, and here's what normally happens is, because we're, we're trying to do this keto, no carb thing. Um, we go out to eat. And when I cave, right, and I order the French fries um, or the burger with bun, and she orders the salad, there is something about her doing the right thing that makes me feel angry. <laughs> not angry, like, 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 not like physical rage, right? But there is something about her doing what I know I ought to do that frustrates me. Like, eat this, for, try this French fry. I promise you, it's great, right? And then I try and like sabotage because if she were just falling short like I was, I would feel a lot better about what I'm doing. But the fact that she's living in a way that I know is good and true and beautiful, namely not eating checkers French fries, it convicts me because I know this is what I ought to do. And this is, this is kind of what Jesus gets out here. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But these things they will do on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse. Whoever hates me hates the Father also. It's as if Jesus says, by my words and by my deeds, I have called the world to conviction. When he says that, that, that if I had not spoken, they wouldn't be, have been guilty of sin, he's not saying that people were perfect pre-Jesus showing up. But he's saying that there's something about Jesus' presence that reveals in a more profound way what people inherently know to be true. And it's the same with Christians, that there is a tension that comes when we live in light of the gospel and people sense inherently that, that what is going on here is right, but I don't care for it. I don't like it. Um, at this point, though, um, there's probably something that should be said. I think it's important to just mention this. Um, because... Sometimes, I would actually say a lot of the time, what Christians claim is persecution is actually people rightly responding to them just being miserable and insufferable jerks. Um, what Jesus is promising comfort for is not you being offensive on top of the gospel being offensive. Um, Jesus is promising comfort for those who suffer because the gospel is an offense. So like all of us can think of our aunt or uncle or relative who on Facebook loudly proclaims maybe some Christian truths in ways that are just mean. Um, I just, I just want to be clear. When people say, when people like thumbs down your Facebook post, does anybody even use Facebook anymore? I don't know. That seems like kind of an out of touch thing now. I'm old. Um, when people argue with you on the internet because you're being argumentative, it's not you being persecuted for righteousness. It's you suffering for being a jerk. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Hey, just so you know, they hated me too. But I think the, the bigger problem actually swings in the opposite direction. Um, I think the, the bigger problem, if we're being honest, is that there, there are so many of us who have claimed the name of Jesus but we look so much like the world around us 
that there is nothing convicting about our presence. Like that, that we look no different from the world around us with the exception of how we spend two hours on a Sunday morning. I think that's probably the bigger problem. Um, there's a, an early church figure named Chrysostom who is widely known as a preacher. He was considered to be one of the most gifted preachers in the first two to 300 years of Christian history. And when he's commenting on this passage, he says, you should not be troubled if you're hated, but you should be troubled if you're loved by the world. Um, and I think that that's an important word for us because for, for many of us, our Christianity is so skin deep that we don't look any different. There is no salad to French fry interaction, if I can use that. We need to repent of that because we're failing to live as the people of Jesus. We're failing to embody the, the true and good and beautiful way that God has called us to. But for those of us, those of us who walk in accordance with the gospel, in the way that Jesus has called us to, Jesus gives us verse 26. He says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Um, there's this interesting thing that, that's about to take place. Jesus says, the world hates me, but it's almost as if Jesus has placed himself as kind of a human shield in front of the Christian community. And he says, when I leave, you're going to take all the heat. And yet what he says is, when I leave, I'm sending the spirit to you so that you will not go through this alone. And there's numerous translations for um, the word that he uses to describe the spirit here. Uh, the, the ESV renders it the helper. Uh, other translations call him the comforter, the advocate. Um, there is this idea that when we are hated by the world, we're truly living in response to the gospel of Jesus. We can go before Jesus in prayer knowing that he's experienced it before us, that he has walked the path that we now walk ahead of us. And we can also know that he has sent the spirit to comfort and guide us through whatever it is that we might suffer for the sake of his name. And, and I think this is, this is the most important thing when we go through difficulty. So often, what we think will fix the difficulty, what we think will fix the pain of, of being hated or, or being criticized is knowing why it's happening or knowing when it's going to end but more often than not, what actually fixes it is knowing that we're not alone. Um, knowing that we don't walk through persecution alone, but that the spirit is with us and that Jesus knows full well what we endure because he himself has endured it. Uh, that is the hope and that is the promise of the gospel. And so Jesus says this to the disciples as he's leaving his parting words, love one another, care for one another, and don't be surprised when the world looks in with contempt. But know that I go before you and I send the spirit to be with you so that you can bear witness to who I am and what I've done. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are grateful. We're grateful that with Jesus, you send the Holy Spirit to comfort us, uh, that he proceeds 
from you, from Christ. Um, Lord, where we have failed to live as Christians, to live in a way that speaks to the truth of the gospel, forgive us. Um, Lord, where we have added offense to the gospel by being offensive, forgive us. Uh, Lord, teach us. Teach us to live in ways that show that, that Christ has called us out of the world. But he's called us out of the world for the sake of the world. Proclaim the gospel and the power of the Spirit. We ask that you do all of these things in Jesus' name. We say, Amen.